If you would open your Bible this morning to Hebrews um, chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12. I'm going to set this right here for everyone to see and look at during the service. It'll sit there. My wife just got back from, well, you'll see it there, from uh, England. And uh, Cadbury chocolate over there is like none other, better than what you get here. And uh, so that's one of my favorites there. I just want to point that out. Let you stare at it through the service. I'm going to give that to your pastor here at the end of the service as a gift. Um, but I just, I want you to look at it through the service. One of the things that uh, all of us need as believers, uh, whether you're uh, a new believer, whether you've been a believer for 30 years, uh, no matter the age, no matter the season of life, no matter your location, whether here in America or in Jamaica or in the Ivory Coast of West Africa, we all need encouragement. And there are times throughout our life where uh, we, we need it more than others, maybe. Um, and so this text this morning that we're going to look at is the author of Hebrew, which we believe to be Paul, uh, his encouragement to believers, uh, his attempt to encourage some believers. Before we get into our text, I want to share just a story of a, a man during the gold rush out in California. He'd been mining in California for quite some time. He'd quit his job. He'd moved out there. He'd left his family back home. He took all he had and started mining, looking for gold, hoping to hit it rich, hoping to change his family's inheritance and his family's future, if you will, um, by striking gold. And, and he worked and worked and worked mining for gold and never found any gold. Finally, he became discouraged with his constant toil, um, the unfruitfulness of his labor. Um, and he finally decided to just call it quits, give up and go home and go back to what he knew and go back to um, the life he had after he'd lost everything he'd taken out there. And so he found this young miner who had just come to California and said, I'll, I'll give you everything I have for this amount of money. He's, it wasn't a lot of money. And he said, um, just take everything. I'm done. I don't think there's any gold here, but you have, have at it. And so this young miner had gotten an engineer to come with them and they had really done their research and, and figured out where they thought gold might be. And this young um, gold miner and his engineer just really believed that there was gold to be had on this man's property. And so uh, as the story goes, the next day they started mining for gold and three feet from where the previous man left, they struck gold. Uh, and so this engineer was right and they were, there was gold on that property. Uh, and, and we see here that discouragement can, can cause us sometimes to quit. Um, the moral of that story is that that, that first gold miner, um, if he just kept going, would have found what he'd been looking for. He'd have found the reward of his labor. He'd been successful in his attempt, but instead he, he called it quits. He got discouraged. He, he lacked the encouragement he needed from a friend or from uh, this engineer to keep going and to continue on when, when he was discouraged. Paul knew that his fellow believers needed encouragement from time to time. Many people believe Paul wrote this book of Hebrews and without a doubt, he understood the need for encouragement. Um, but Paul here is not trying to encourage the believers with a funny story. He's not trying to encourage the believers with a motivational speech like I just gave. 
Instead, Paul is trying to encourage the believers with truth. And something we must understand as Christians, that encouragement is always based and rooted in the word of God. It's always going to be found in truth. So I want to look at our text this morning. We'll read it here real quick and get into it this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, the Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which just so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word that we have this morning, the, the written words, Lord, Lord, the, the parables, Lord, the, the, the truth that's found in the scripture we have, Lord. We thank you for giving us a copy of your word. Lord, I pray that as we meet with you this morning, that it would not be just my words spoken, but Lord, that you would speak through me, or that you would encourage someone here today, Lord, that you would lead someone to come to know you as their Savior if they're not saved today, Lord, that you would be an encouragement to the people here at Fellowship Baptist Church through this service this morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So if we're going to understand what Paul is talking about here, he's talking about a race. Uh, most of us understand the concept of what a race is. Uh, I grew up watching NASCAR. I'm going to date myself. I live in Georgia now, so it fed in with all the rednecks there. Um, and so I, my, my understanding of a race is, is growing around in circles, sometimes on a road course, uh, running a race. Um, but there's different kinds of races. Uh, there's foot races. There's all sorts of endurance races. There's different triathlons, all sorts of different types of races that we can find throughout the world. Paul here, though, is talking about our spiritual race. Uh, more importantly, really, I believe our life. Uh, we all have a purpose in this life. And so uh, Paul here is talking about the race that is set before us. Uh, but before we understand the race, we have to understand what it, what it means to be a part of the race. Uh, we have to understand who is in the race. Uh, Paul says here, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. To be part of the race, you must first be a Christian. Hebrews was written to believers. It wasn't written to the lost world. It was written to believers. And so Paul here is saying, if you're a part of this race, if you're a Christian, I have some encouragement for you. So if you're here this morning and, and you say, well, I, I don't know that I'm a Christian, then, then that's the first thing you have to do to be a part of this race. You have to come to the point of understanding that you can't enter into heaven through your own power, that our sin separates us from God and that Christ paid the ultimate price for us so that we could have fellowship with him, so that we could inherit eternal life, so that we could um, become a Christian. And so this portion of scripture that we're gonna look at this morning has some things that we first have to understand about it. And that is that it was written to believers. And so for us to learn anything from it this morning, we have to understand that we first must be Christians. We can't be a part of this race. We can't understand what he's talking about this morning if we are not in the race ourselves. You don't get to become in the race because you want to be. You don't become in the race because you're born into a specific lineage or a specific family. Uh, your inheritance doesn't make you part of the race. Your religion doesn't make you part of the race. You can't earn your way into the race. Uh, becoming a Christian is only through the blood of Jesus Christ and only through our, our trust in him on what it was accomplished on the cross. And so 
um, we must understand that it, this is for Christians. So if you're here this morning, I want to go ahead and point this out. Um, today can be your day of salvation. You can become a Christian today. You can be entered into this race that Paul is talking about. And, and by the end of it, I hope you want to be a part of this race. I hope by the end of this message this morning, you'll see why you should be a part of the race, why you should be a Christian. And I want to challenge you, if you don't know Christ as your Savior today, to get in the race. Become a Christian. Put your faith and trust in Christ. There are many ways that we can tell someone uh, and maybe entice someone to become a Christian. We can tell them about the, the very reality of heaven and hell, how that without Christ we're bound for hell, but with Christ we get an eternal home in heaven. Um, but the truth is, there's much more to that in the Christian life. Um, being a Christian doesn't start with when we die. Being a Christian starts now. And we get to have a relationship with Christ. And, and we get to have a purpose in our life. And we get to have many benefits of being a Christian now in this life. And so uh, we, this personal relationship with Christ is something that we must have if we're going to be in this race. So as, as I already mentioned, Hebrews was written to Christians but they, it was written in the face of persecution uh, as a source of encouragement and instruction to keep going and moving forward. Uh, I remember uh, just a few years ago, my first trip to India, the pastor um, at a seminary asked me to preach graduation for him. I said, I'll be happy to do that for you. But he said, I want you to specifically preach on something. I said, OK, what do you want me to preach on? He said, I want you to preach on persecution because they face a lot of persecution in northeast India. And I thought, man, I am the last person qualified to be preaching and trying to encourage Christians in the face of persecution. As an American, we don't face persecution. We might think we do. We might think that someone might make fun of us or because we're uncomfortable in a situation sharing the gospel, we face persecution. But that is not persecution. That is not what the Christians in India were facing at the time. So I felt very inadequate to preach on enduring persecution. Paul though, on the other hand here, when he was writing this book, understood persecution. Paul knew what it was like to be persecuted. He knew um, what it felt like to be in the face of persecution. And so he had the source of encouragement and some instructions for these Christians. I believe each one of us has a God-given purpose. And, and as Paul states, we must run our race as best we can so that we can be winners in this race and accomplish our God-given purpose. We weren't left on this earth to please ourselves. We weren't left on this earth uh, to live the American dream. Um, I had a teacher in, in high school tell us that the American dream, as he called it, was to make all you can and then sit on your can. And, and, and that's what he viewed the American dream. That's not why we're here. That's not why, as Christians, we've been left on this earth. It's not to please ourselves. It's not to make a lot of money. It's not to have big and fancy toys and houses, although maybe God has blessed us with those. But that shouldn't be our purpose. That shouldn't be our goal. That shouldn't be what we strive for each and every day. We should all have a purpose in this race. And so the purpose of this race, though, is individual. It's, it's not something that we can just say, well, because I'm a Christian, I'm included in the race. No, everyone has a purpose in this race. It's an individual purpose. Each one of our purposes may be different. Not all of us are called to be pastors. Um, your pastor appreciates that he's not teaching every week and preaching to 60 or 70 other pastors in the congregation. Not all of us are called to be missionaries. Not all of us are called to um, take missions trips. Um, but all of us have a purpose that God has called us to. Uh, and so Christ did not save us so that we can just sit here and enjoy ourselves in this world and um, enjoy this American life. Uh, Christ has given us all a purpose. He's given us a task and he has called us all to do his work. 
to be a part of his ministry. So we must run our race with purpose and on purpose because we have a God-given purpose. We are all in this race together. Even though we're in this race together, we all have an individual purpose in the race. Uh, and so we're all in this race. Every believer gets entered into this race. Paul doesn't say there's certain qualifications other than being a believer to be in this race. And so we are all in this race. The word race here, um, the Greek word here, it comes from the word agon, uh, which is where we get the English word agony from. And that's what I think of when running. Um, I don't enjoy running. Uh, this is not a runner's body and I don't run a lot. Um, in fact, I, I do not like running so much so that in high school, um, our basketball coach, which I played basketball, he said, you're gonna play, and this is for my senior year, he said, if you're gonna play on our varsity team, you have to run cross country before the season starts. Well, that was a deal killer for me because I don't like running. So I went in and told him, I'm not playing basketball this year. I'm not running cross country. I just don't like running. Uh, you know, but that, the word there and this idea of race isn't of agony, even though that comes from the word, this race is something we, we have to be entered in. We may not like the idea of being in a race, um, but God has given us this race. God has given us this important task as Christians. Uh, we know we're to evangelize the world. We know as you're in your missions month here, we all have a purpose and we all have a part to play in missions, um, but we all must understand what our race is and we must understand our purpose in the race is individual. We each should have a specific purpose and know what our God-given purpose is. Um, those who are the witnesses here in verse one, I'll go ahead and cover this here as a source of encouragement. Uh, not only are we all in this race, we're expected to win, but we're also not expected to do it by ourselves. The verse here, it says in verse one, wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Paul here is saying there's other people who have witnessed and gone before you to the goodness and, and greatness of our God. Uh, the word here um, does not speak of an angel. The word here is martus. Um, it refers to one who has seen. It refers to one who has heard. It refers to someone who has performed something. It speaks of a well-qualified expert. The context here strongly suggests that the witnesses here in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 12 are the heroes of faith mentioned in chapter 11. Uh, if you read Hebrews chapter 11, you're going to see a common phrase, by faith, Abel, by faith, Abram, by faith, Enoch, by faith, Jacob, by faith, Joseph, by faith, Moses. All these different people that accomplished something for God, not because they were born in a great lineage of character, not because they had a great amount of money, not because they had a great amount of status, but because they had faith. God used them and they're a witness for us. They're a source of encouragement. Uh, I don't know what it would be like to be someone like Thomas Edison and invent something only to have failed a hundred times before finally inventing it. I think I would be discouraged after failing three or four times. I don't know that I would keep going and going and going. Uh, but as Paul tells us in this race, there are people who have gone before us, who have run their race, who have successfully run their race, and who have finished their race. And so it's an encouragement for us. Uh, these Heroes of the faith are, are a witness um, to the greatness of God. They're a witness to the testimony of the grace of God uh, and how that many great things can be accomplished by faith. And so you, you don't go out um, and, and have to do this on their own. Paul isn't saying this race is run on your own. 
Paul is saying you have to run this race individually, but there are people who have gone before you who have successfully run this race. And I'm thankful that we can see people in the Bible who have dealt with things that we've dealt with, who have served God when it wasn't easy to serve God, who have endured different things and different trials um, and have gone before us uh, as an encouragement for us. And so Paul tells us there are people running our race. And then he tells us um, also that we must look at the runner of the race, examine the runner, point number two. Looking back at Hebrews chapter 12, verse one, he says, wherefore seeing also we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Paul's talking here about the runner must do some things. A runner in this race must examine himself. Not only do we know that he must be in the race, he must be qualified, he must be a Christian to be in this race, but he then tells us there are some things we must look at. We understand that if you're gonna be a successful athlete, there's some things you have to do. You have to train properly, you have to eat properly, you have to work out a lot. Uh, there are some sacrifices you have to make in order to be good at what you're doing. You don't become a, a National Football League player. You don't become a M MVP of the National Football League uh, simply by getting out of bed and going to practice. Uh, there are some things you have to do in order to be successful uh, at what you want to be successful at. And so Paul says here, we're called to be a part of this race. Let's look at what it takes to be successful in the race. Um, and so there are some things that we must pay attention to in this race. I know a lot of times our biggest problem isn't from without, it's from within. I know I can, and I'm sure most of us can think of many difficulties in our life and struggles that at our own expense, where we made a bad decision, where we made a mistake, where we messed up, where we caused ourselves some problems. And sometimes we truly can be our own worst enemy. But knowing this, Paul tries to encourage us in this way. And he tells us here, there are some things we must examine within ourselves if we're gonna be successful in a race. So the first thing he tells us to do is to lay aside every weight. And so he tells us, lay aside every weight. And then he says, uh, and the sin which just so easily beset us. So he tells us to lay aside every weight. He says to, to lay aside the sin that sets us aside, that slows us down and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So let's look at the first thing. He says, let us lay aside every weight. For the longest time when I read this scripture, I always thought the weight of sin because sin is weighty, right? Sin causes us to, to slow down. Sin causes us problems. Uh, sin discourages us. Sin causes us to be affected. But that's not what the scripture says. It doesn't say the weight of sin. It says weight and sin. So as I studied this, I realized that these weights were different than sin. We know the effect sin can have on us, but Paul isn't talking about this. Paul's concern here is not what something, whether something is immoral or moral. Paul is not concerned if something is right or wrong, but rather how it would affect his race. So Paul here is talking about something that is not even wrong, that is not even sinful, that would slow his race, uh, that would keep him from winning his race. Paul's talking here about something that uh, can set him um, back that can slow him down in his race. Uh, these weights can be good things. These weights can be wholesome activities. They can be good works. These weights can be things that are not wrong in and of themselves, but maybe we give a disproportionate affection to. Maybe we spend too much time working on this one thing that we really enjoy that doesn't have anything to do with our race. Maybe it's something that we just enjoy. Maybe it's a hobby we have. Maybe it's something we do. 
Uh, this portion of scripture here, if, if I'm being completely honest with you, is something the Lord used in my own life. If you were to ask me, what is something you learned besides being a Christian that has greatly impacted your life? It would be understanding this portion of scripture. Understanding that there are some things in, our, in my life uh, that were ways that weren't wrong, uh, but they didn't help me in my race. They didn't help me with my uh, relationship with my wife. They didn't help me in what I was doing at that time. They didn't help me teach Sunday school. They didn't help me have the time I needed to study for, for sermon prep or for different ministries I was involved in. And so they were awake. They were slowing me down from doing what God wanted me to do. And so I had to learn that. That's something I learned. For me, be honest, that was video games. I wasn't an avid video gamer, but even in my 20s, um, my wife will attest that sometimes I'd come home from work, spend a few hours playing video games. Uh, now, they weren't wrong. I wasn't playing anything with even bad language or anything like that. I liked Madden. Uh, I liked all the, you know, action games. Um, but it wasn't helping my relationship with my wife. It wasn't giving me the time I needed to study for Sunday school or to be involved in the ministries at church that I needed. And so I specifically learned for me, well, there's absolutely nothing wrong with video games. They were a weight in my life. They were something that I had to get rid of if I was going to be successful in my race. Uh, and so that was just something for me. I don't know what it is for you, but I think all of us, if we sit back and think about what are some things in my life keeping me from going on a missions trip next year? What are some things keeping me from being a better Sunday school teacher? What are some things keeping me from uh, having a better walk with God? What are some things keeping me from being at church like I should be faithfully? I think if we're all to look at our life, there's some weights in our life uh, that although they're not wrong, they're slowing us down. And they're getting us sidetracked. They're keeping us off focus from accomplishing what God's wanted us to accomplish. Imagine a runner in the Olympics showing up, um, having qualified for the final race, having an opportunity to run for the gold medal, but being so consumed with his style and what he wore that he wore the wrong clothes and the wrong shoes to the event. So concerned that he wanted to look good that he wore clothes that actually slowed him down and kept him from winning the gold medal. None of that would have been wrong, but we think how foolish this guy, so concerned with his image that he would jeopardize his race. But oftentimes, if we're not careful as Christians, there are things in our life that, although not wrong, slow us down, that keep us distracted from putting our full effort and energy into our race. Look over at Mark chapter 10. We'll see an example in scripture of this. Keep your place in Hebrews 12. Turn to Mark chapter 10. Verse 46, the Bible says, And they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. Verse 51, And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith has made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Now, as we look at that text, there's a lot of things. We see the miracle of Jesus healing the blind men. But something I want to point out is in verse 50. 
After Jesus calls him, the Bible says, and he casting away his garment rose and came to Jesus. That doesn't mean he took off his clothes and ran to Jesus. That garment, scholars tell us, is a, it was a big cloak. It was a beggar's cloak. It was something that was big and baggy and heavy that allowed people to beg, that told people, passerbyers, that they had a physical condition. They were unable to work, that the only way they were going to survive was if you gave them some money, whether that was money or food or water, they needed and depended on someone else for their sustenance. And so that cloak was something that gave him the ability to provide for himself in a, in a sense. It, it allowed other people to see his need, uh, that he was blind, that he needed their money, that he needed their food, that he needed their water. And the Bible says he casting away his garment got up and went. That garment would have been a weight. That garment would have been something that could have gotten in his way. It could have tripped him up. It could have kept him from getting to Jesus. He could have fallen down. He, he could have uh, been delayed. But the Bible says he, knowing that Jesus would heal him, having the faith, he took that garment, which he rightfully deserved and that he counted on for his sustenance and he threw it aside so that it wouldn't slow him getting to Jesus. We see here the importance of knowing what weights are in our life and what might be slowing us down in our race. Um, the second thing we see in Hebrews, if you turn back to Hebrews chapter 12, not only does Paul tell us if we're gonna be successful runners, we must lay aside our weights, but then he also says, let us lay aside every sin, which just so easily beset us. There's oftentimes a besetting sin in our life that always comes back to get us. Um, and I don't think we have to spend too much time dwelling on sin. Uh, we know that sin, we can go back to the Sunday school answers from when you were little, sin is anything we think, say, or do that doesn't please God. And we know when we're sinning, right? We have the Holy Spirit in us as believers. We know when we're doing something we shouldn't be doing. Uh, and, and Paul tells us here, if we're gonna be successful in our race, not only do we have to look at it the weights, we gotta make sure there's no sin. There's no sin that easily besets us. There's no sin that constantly creeps up in our life that is gonna slow us down from running our race. Oftentimes as believers, it's easy for us to look at other people and say, well, I might have this one sin, but I don't have all these others. Uh, and so maybe I'm doing okay, or maybe, maybe that's not hurting me in my race. But the fact is, Paul says we have weights and we have sin that slow us down. The idea proposed here is that our weights and our sin are going to slow us down and keep us from running our race. Uh, look at Hebrews chapter nine, not Hebrews chapter nine, I'm sorry, Mark chapter nine. I know I just had you in Mark chapter 10. I should have told you to keep your place. Turn back a page to Mark chapter nine. We'll see an example of this here. In Mark chapter nine, verse 42, the Bible says, this is Jesus speaking here. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believeth in me is better for him than a millstone were hanged about his neck and it, he were cast into the sea. Verse 43, and if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It's better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. Where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. Verse 45, it says the same thing. But if thy foot offend thee. And then in verse 47, if thy eye offend thee. And so, the idea proposed here is that if our own hand, our own eye or fit offends us or causes us to stumble, causes us to be slowed down in our race, we're to get rid of it. Uh, because if it's something that can cause us to sin, it's going to slow us down in our race. Now, some people will take this portion of scripture literally. Some people will look at this portion of scripture in Mark chapter nine and take it figuratively. 
But what we must understand is however way you look at this portion of scripture, the bigger understanding here is that sin is more of a matter of our heart than a matter of our limbs. So see, we can completely demember our body. We can cut off our hands. We can cut off our feet. We can poke out our eyes, but we can still sin with our heart and our mind. And so we have to understand the consequences of our unconfessed sin. Uh, the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. It wasn't because David didn't sin. We know David's sin. We know some of David's sins, but David knew how to confess his sin. David knew how to repent of his sin. And so Paul here is telling us that if we're going to be successful in this race, we have to understand this, the consequences of having weight in our life. We also have to understand the consequences of having unconfessed sin in our life. I also couldn't help but notice in studying Hebrews chapter 12, uh, going back there, the, the order that it's placed in. I believe God places everything in his word for a reason. And he tells us that first we must deal with our weight and then deal with our sin. Um, could it be that be, we struggle so much with overcoming a certain sin because we have so many weights in our life slowing us down and weighing us down that we're not able to address the sin in our life? Um, and so Paul here is telling us we need to think of our weights and our sin and address both of those if we're going to be successful in the race. The way I think of this is weights are external. Weights are of this world um, and, and there are things that have too much control in our life, but sin is internal. Sin is something of our mind, something of our heart, and, but both have to be cast away if we're going to be successful in our race. So what weights, what sin is slowing us down as we look at running our race? What obstacles do we have in our life that are keeping us from being at full pace, that are keeping us from performing at our best? Because after all, Christ does deserve our best. And then lastly, we'll look at what it takes to win the race. Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. The Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. If we're going to win our race, not only do we have to look at ourselves, take inventory of the weight and sin in our own life, but then we also have to have the right focus. We also have to have the right focus. We must focus on Jesus. The, the verse here, looking unto Jesus, the phrase here speaks of a steadfast, intense gaze, a continual look, not a quick glance. When I put this candy bar up here, I think everyone probably looked at it. But most of y'all have not looked at it since I put it up here. Hopefully it wasn't a distraction for you. But a lot of us approach our relationship with Christ that same way. When it's easy for him to be in front of us when we're at church, uh, maybe when a song comes on the radio, maybe points us or makes us think about Christ, we, we look at him. Uh, maybe when he's right in front of us, we'll look at him, but it's just a quick glance. But this, the, the author here is telling us that if we're going to win, we have to focus on Jesus. It can't be a quick glance. Uh, it has to be a steadfast, continual and intentional gaze. Uh, it's easy to quit looking at him and look to the left or look to the right. It's easy to be distracted as Christians. Um, it's easy to look at him when he's placed right in front of us and, and then kind of forget about it when we leave church or when we close our Bible after our devotions in the morning. Uh, it's easy to stop thinking about Christ after that. Um, but there's all sorts of distractions that are around us. And, and Paul's telling us here, we have to have a continual steadfast gaze on Christ. An unknown author said this, if you want to be disappointed, look at others. If you want to be discouraged, look at yourself. But if you want to be encouraged, look at Jesus. 
If we're going to be focused on winning our race, not only do we have to take inventory of ourselves, but we also have to focus on Christ. We must have the right focus on Jesus. But then also, that focus needs to consider Him. The way to avoid discouragement, the way to avoid failing and, and quitting, like I, in the story I said at the beginning of the gold, um, um, gold digger, I guess. Forget what you'd call him. Um, but the man looking for gold was discouragement. So we must consider Christ to avoid that discouragement. There's a song I'm sure you're familiar with. I won't sing it because I don't want you to get up and leave. Um, but it's the song called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And it says, look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. So if we look full in his wonderful face and if we focus on Jesus, the song is saying the things of earth will go strangely dim. Those weights, the sin of this earth will go strangely dim. The discouragement will go dim in the light of his glory and grace. And so whatever difficulty, struggle, or heartache you're dealing with today, we must look at him. We must focus on Jesus. We must consider him. But then we also must consider his sacrifice. Consider what Jesus went to to bring us salvation. Consider what he endured being nailed to the cross, going through the pain, the agony to bring us salvation for us. Consider what he went through to purchase our salvation. Knowing what was going to happen, he pressed on. He endured the cross. He uh, despised the, 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 the sinners. He, he continued forward even until the death of the cross. And then we also must consider his sufficiency. He's sufficient not just for heaven, but he's sufficient for this life. He's not just sufficient for our eternal life. He's sufficient for this life. Jesus experienced, the Bible says, such contradiction of sinners, such hostility of sinners. He has experienced everything you or I could ever live or go through, and he did it without sin. So he knows what we needed in this life, and he's sufficient to supply it. But he can't supply it if we're not focused on him. And so he's sufficient, not just for this life, but for our eternal life. The Bible said he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The Bible says he sat down. You know, when the high priest would go into the tabernacle, there was no chair. There was no place for them to sit down because the work was never finished. There was always something else that had to be done, another sacrifice that had to be made. But now he's interceding for us and nothing passes between heaven and earth without the knowledge of our God and Savior. And so he's there making intercession for us. So we must look unto Jesus. The advantage to gain in our race is the mean to which prevents our weariness, uh, prevents our feigning. In running terms, when we focus on Jesus, we gain endurance. We gain the advantage to, to, to help us find victory in this race. Uh, verse three here says, lest ye grow weary in well-doing. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be weary and faint in your minds. Lest ye grow weary in well-doing, the Bible says here. Uh, there's a high risk, even in the very best of people, in the very best of times, to faint under trials. Um, to grow weary, to give up, to be discouraged. Um, and so we'll only endure through the end. We'll only win this race if we focus on Jesus. You might be thinking, why are you preaching on uh, this portion of scripture to kick off our missions emphasis month. Um, what does my race have to do with missions? I'm not a missionary. I'm a member here at Fellowship Baptist Church. What does my race have to do with mission? Your race is between you and God. That's correct. Uh, and it's individual for you, but your race has eternal consequences, not just for you. Your race has eternal consequences for your family, 
for your friends, for the people you work with, for the people you interact with. But it also has eternal consequences for the gospel getting around the world. Uh, if everyone here at Fellowship Baptist Church decided to stop giving the missions, guess what would happen around the world? The light would go dim because of your unfaithfulness here. Now, I know that won't happen, or I pray that doesn't happen, um, but all of us have a role to play in missions, and we can't play that role if we're not focused on our race. If we're so focused on our hobby or so focused on our, our comfort in our Christian walk here in the United States that we fail to focus on our race. Our, our own race has consequences uh, that involve world missions. Missions has to be personal for all of us, not just for missionaries. We'll never uh, be successful in missions. We'll never be successful with world evangelism. We'll be, never be successful reaching the lost for Christ if people aren't engaged in their race. It takes a support team back home to keep missionaries on the field. It takes people praying back home to keep missionaries on the field. It takes people praying back home for things to happen overseas, for missionaries to have the Holy Spirit, for missionaries to, to be encouraged, for missionaries uh, to have their needs met. It takes people praying back here. And so all of us have a role to play in missions. But before we talk about our role in missions, we all have to be running our race. And we have to be focused on running our race. So my question for you tonight or, or this morning is, are you in the race? And if you are, how's your race going?